0: episode 53 of the coys rs podcast which is for americans who love british football specifically spurs (laughs) talking tottenham and we've actually got a a non-american on the pod today so i'm I'm here with with kim who's one of our regulars uh, but we've also got john bass here from the fighting cock podcast john how's it going
1: very good and a pleasure to be uh be a part of the pod tonight so yeah thank you for uh thank you for having me appreciate it
0: well we're hoping this is a lot uh, of reliance on you to kind of add a little bit of british flavor to this american pod so no pressure but you've got kind of the whole country relying on you here so
1: okay that's important i mean i feel like um you know like in any any dish sometimes like the the seasoning is often the most important part right now the British aren't known necessarily for (laughs) for (laughs) (laughs) Um, but in a podcasting
0: sense I will do my best to to oblige the Premier League is such a big export and it makes so much money all over the world what is the what is it like for you guys like seeing these people rooting for sometimes like your hometown club from all over the country you've got us across the Atlantic you've got people in Africa people in Asia like how weird is that or is that just something that you've kind of always grown up seeing
1: yeah I think it's um well it's definitely got bigger in terms of the like the global presence of Spurs for sure like in the last like five to ten years it's definitely become a much bigger I mean I hate the word but a much bigger brand around the world like definitely seen that I mean I remember the Gareth Bale Times Square um like right yeah kind of poster thing which was which was huge at the time i know there's some like difference and i never claim to like speak for all spurs fans so just speaking for myself i know there's some some people that don't like it that actually kind of feel like it should be like a regional thing to their club and it's you know you're not real fans if you're not from the area i personally do Don't like that train of thought because for me it's like no one's really from the area, right? Like people go, well, I'm from London, so therefore that's that means I'm a real Spurs fan. It's like, but were you born in Tottenham? No, okay, so you're prepared to draw the line that far? Then you get other people who are like, well, I'm from, you know, like the south of England, so like essentially any London club is okay, and I pick Spurs. So it's like, okay, well, then where do you draw the line? Then it's like, well, my dad supported the club and well, my uncle's with the club, even though I'm from this country and like, it's, where do you draw the line? Fundamentally for me, um, it doesn't like, none of that's really important. We all essentially like choose, right. You, you pick a club. Like some people say that the club picks them. And I, I think that's more of a, um, a kind of metaphorical way of like thinking about it. But essentially you have either someone in your family who wants you to pick it and influences your decision, but you choose, you decide who you support. Um, and f- for me, especially, I had no one in my family follows football, like n- literally nobody, right? No male ro- role models, female role models, anyone in the family who liked football. So it was a choice for me. And it was based on my friendship group, or we Spurs fans. So I'm very much of the mindset that it's a beautiful thing seeing like Spurs and the club that I love being kind of followed and supported around the world to me it's just i see it as like a sense of pride i i think it's um it's an amazing thing and having had the benefit of uh yeah. kind of traveling and the united states a prime example been to a couple of different supporters clubs and watch games there it's like a, it's such a nice thing to have this community of people all around the world that you have this club in common and you get to share that on occasion with each other i think is is a thing that actually goes is quite underrated in like in just in things that people enjoy. It seems like people are kind of quick to dismiss that, but I actually think that's something that should happen more in the world, like look for the things that connect us. And that is such a nice thing to be able to celebrate uh, a football a football team, which on the surface is so trivial, but it kind of brings people together. I think that's the beauty of the sport. And um, yeah, I love it. I think it's amazing.
0: It's funny you mentioned that because I feel like for us as American sports fans, that is one of the biggest draws to just football as a sport in general but specifically Premier League like you know Kimmy and I are both a part of like a group chat with a bunch of different friends that we have who are all supporters of different clubs and so it's kind of just like a general space to talk football and we were talking the other day about like just these images of these PSG fans just parading through Newcastle Um, and, and even just like what you were talking about about being able to go to different OSCs like I'm I'm a Knicks fan, which is a New York basketball team, but I live in D.C. When I'm in D.C., I there's nowhere for me to, like, just go watch a Knicks game. I can yeah. watch a Spurs game wherever I am in this country because there's going to be a pub, a bar, a supporters group. Um, and I think that sense of community or even just, like, having the chance and singing at games, like, there's really no equivalent to that in American sports. And I think for us, it's such a big draw where, as you could say, like, that's something that you guys are almost just used to because that's just how you do sports. Um, for us, it's, it, it definitely stands out a little bit more.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think like, um, again, it's that sense of like having a, uh, like a single thing that binds like a group of people. So like you and I, we, we met through our sort of like shared love of hip hop. Right. And we started, right. you know, talking, um, because of that. And if you think about that as a topic, right, think about that as the sport of football, it, there is no like allegiances, right? You have maybe a favorite rapper or like a preferred coast or a preferred era of music, but you're not like, you're not committed to one like group or one person that you then can go, right, all the biggie fans, we get together like once a week to like do a listening <laughs> party, right? Like it's not a thing. So you you have a shared love. But that's just, that's just called of... Brooklyn. <laughs> right, exactly. That's, that's Bed-Stuy. So you, right. you get to a point where it's like, you can appreciate the same thing but there isn't the same level of commitment to the specific like right. team yeah. or group and that's what's so brilliant about um football for me and and following spurs is that that is a like a very and also you have a kit right so like you can have your logo on display anywhere in the world if you have a spurs shirt on anywhere in the world someone there will go even if they're not a support they go oh spurs or tottenham or it's like yeah. an identifying factor it's such a proper global like uh, icon um, in terms of those brands, those football clubs and that like connection to be able to kind of like say to someone like whatever happens, you, we're Spurs so we can connect on that level is, is such an amazing thing. The amount of times it's happened to me when I've just been out and someone's like seen like, a uh, don't know if I've had like a pair of shorts on, Spurs shorts or, or a shirt or a hat yeah. or something and they're also a Spurs fan it's oh I've got like, I had it in a bar where a guy was like, oh i have just like here's a round of drinks, like it's on the house I was that's like, just why? Because we support the same football team. That like, makes no sense, but it's kind of a beautiful thing that you kind of like have this connection. I think it's like how people in the mafia kind of feel. Like they're like, yeah, we've got our own little club.
0: <laughs> this like, this, go, this thing okay. of ours. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It's kind of it's kind of cool. The I think Spurs
2: mafia.
0: The the, yeah. the the Spurs cosa nostra. Well, <laughs> exactly. I, I, I wanted to get uh, Kimmy in here because we were just talking about uh, before we started recording the fact that you guys had. Connected like on social media, but had never actually met before. And John, I'm assuming you've been following Spurs a lot longer than I have. I've been following Spurs maybe about eight or nine years now, and then Kimmy more recently than me. um So Kim, like, what has been your experience? Because you've been Spurs, I think maybe five years now, and just like
2: yeah, eighteen. You've already was my first season.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've already season. gone to the stadium. You've already seen a Champions League match. you have done more than a lot of Spurs fans. What has been kind of your experience just starting to follow the team, but then just also just being ingratiated into football culture in general?
2: Yeah, so I uh, like prior to, I might have talked about this on the podcast before, I'm, I'm not actually sure, but as a kid growing up, like football wasn't something that I watched at home at all. Um, we are a basketball family, still someone who follows a lot of basketball, still probably my favorite sport because that's what I grew up playing and you know that's that was my life for a long time um but you know I would pay attention to cups I would pay attention to the World Cup um and it was like World Cup 2018 that got me interested in figuring out like maybe I want to watch this on a more regular basis and so went ahead and just picked the club um you know my decisions were based on who I liked at the World Cup um the team was young they developed on their own that's it was like all the you know all those little things and then obviously poch was a decent manager and i was like i think this would be a good club to follow my friend joel and at was that, a, and at was that a point spurs, it
0: was like i was just gonna say at that point spurs was like half the english squad <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I <was> like,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah it's
0: like oh i've seen yeah. those guys uh, i guess i'll follow that club probably easier
2: Pretty much. But then having someone that also follows the club um, and me and Joel have like at this point we have our college teams in common. We're both we're both Knicks fans. You can kind of know what kind of person of who a person is based on the teams that they follow. You can kind of see if you would be willing to follow that team, too. Sometimes that can really tell you something about the team. And so I was like, if Joel's doing this, I was like, they're not perennial winners. That's not that important. And I was like, but he sees something in the team and there's something there that, that gets him. And I'm like, for the most part, when it comes to sports, if if he likes it, I might too, or we might've already figured that out. Um. So, you know, I found my way to Spurs, but I mean, if you start following Spurs in 2018, 19, you, everyone knows what happened at the end of that year and um, you know, just going through. And at this time I was, I was just watching matches, just matches like by myself. I watched the Champions League at lunch. Um, depending on what the time was, I'd leave early to try and watch like the the second half. Um, but you just, you know, I got to enjoy what the sport was like. I was doing, um, we had a draft fantasy football league. So I was like getting to know players all over the league. And so I just realized like, okay, football is something that culture what it is is something that I just want to make sure I continue to watch. Um, And so obviously make the Champions League final and then, you know, COVID happens. Um, So I had planned to go to the stadium in 2020. Um, I was trying to get tickets to the North London Derby in 2020. I think that was April, 2020. Um, And obviously that all got canceled. Uh, But I did end up going over last September, Um, saw Fulham at home and um marseille so saw the two goals that richie scored for almost a year <laughs> nice. <Very>
0: nice. <laughs> yeah. maybe you're what's missing if you go back maybe yeah. score more goals yeah, hey
1: that's what that's hey. what he needs it's interesting that you said that um and you both kind of mentioned it around you know what seeing a team like with young players that was exciting with a manager that was kind of you know, like trying to um, bring through youth and exuberance and play a certain style of football. And it's kind of interesting now in terms of the timing that we seem like we're almost gone full circle and we're, we're kind of at a very similar, it's very early Poch vibes. I mean, it's very different in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons, but there's a lot of similarities to that. And it is really interesting that we've sort of seemed to arrive um, at this place again. And I wonder, you know, how much influence that will have on the next generation of like fans in the US particularly that will kind of be seeing this happening um and kind of how that's being perceived i mean what is the like just from my side what is the like perception of how things are going with spurs now with this new ange era just given that it is very similar to these poch vibes
0: yeah i would say there is a difference not only in the way that spurs fans talk about their own club but also (laughs) just in the way that like the media seems to have really been drawn to Ange. and i would also say to a certain extent the the football world so to speak has shrunk a bit because you know so many of us are interacting on twitter which doesn't really have the same guidelines or like we're not necessarily watching sky sports every day but we're still getting a lot of media coverage from there we obviously have our own media coverage, um, but a lot of the people who even work on American feeds are British anyway. So yeah. um, we're still getting, I would say, a, a kind of a mixed bag. But it, do, it does feel like the mood around Spurs is significantly different because not only the results, which I guess we'll, we, we could talk about the fact that they've actually mirrored the amount of points we had at this point last year. Yeah, But it feels completely different. The style of football, specifically, I think, is the biggest difference. Um, and I think Ange himself is just a such a breath of fresh air, not only for us as Spurs supporters, but just for football in general. Like there isn't a ton of managers that you can point at that have approached the job, and even just the way that he approaches talking to the media or the press conferences. Like he just feels a little bit more human yeah. than a lot of other gaffers that we've seen, and I think that on top of the fact that his team is winning is just like oh it's he's just easy to love um and so I think you know that that's a good segue into I guess the state of the club which we haven't talked at all about yet our last podcast episode was actually before the Liverpool game we were kind of hedging our bets you know that's a fixture that we have not had many much joy in and just you know as Kim saying, I, she's been following the club for five years. We've never beaten Liverpool since she's yeah. been following. Yeah.
2: It. The last time we beat Liverpool prior to Saturday was 2017.
0: So, I, I mean, obviously a lot of the conversation this week has been about the offside and Klopp and the VAR. And I almost don't even want to go down that rabbit hole because personally, I feel like his response doesn't even warrant us paying any attention. Like, it's so ridiculous the thought or even to even mention a replay for something that has happened, not this specific situation, but VAR has screwed people out of points all the time. Like it happens every week. Some club has something to aggrieve and to think that somehow he's owed something more. I feel like even discussing it is just almost giving him more value than it's (laughs) even worth. Like I don't even, it's so ridiculous to me that it should, it should have been castigated by every media member, by every fan. He should have been shamed for saying what he said. And I've been seeing almost – it seems like people are validating it almost just by talking about it at all. Um, but I say all that to say I think what's been buried underneath all of that nonsense has been the fact that we got the three points and Spurs found a way to win again at the end of the game – John is like, what was your takeaway of the Spurs performance in that game, especially considering the fact that this is a club we haven't beaten in so long?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, so first of all, with the Liverpool thing, I totally agree with you. There's, a, you could basically have like a week's worth of podcasting about like the history of their club and the area and why they're in this very unique place in terms of how they perceive themselves. Um, which I'm again, I'm not going to get into because we could be here all week, but it's a very interesting topic. And, um, something that is quite unique to them in the sense of like the area they're from uh, and the sort of political climate around them makes them have this us against the world scenario. But their football club is the establishment. And there's this weird, like, they uh... can't understand, right? So basically the area, I said I wasn't going to get into it, now I am. Um, the, the area has always been. You have been to explain
0: much... it to us uh, as yeah. Americans. That there is an okay. extra context that that I don't think I realized.
1: All right, so yeah, maybe I'll just do it super quick. But essentially, Liverpool itself is like a working class area, and in the sixties, seventies, and eighties, it was always um, really a, like the, the British government were very much against a lot of the um, workers and workers' rights in that area. So there was, and it goes back even to like earlier than that. Bad treatment essentially by the British establishment in the South, in like London, essentially, and Parliament. So those setting the rules set rules against like that those regions, which is why a lot of people from Liverpool say that they are scouse and not English. That whole phrase of like we're scouse, we're not English, because they see themselves as separate. They don't like the royal family, they don't like the British government. And it's a very working-class area. And so there's a lot of um, yeah, pushback against anything establishment, right? But right. Liverpool, the football club, is the establishment. It right. is the most successful, most famous club. All Everyone in the media is a Liverpool fan. Everyone who's a referee, there's loads of ex-referees who supported Liverpool as a kid growing up. They have the most sway, the most power in terms of like the way they talk about things. They've won the Champions League like a ton of times. They're an enormous institution. And so there's this weird dichotomy that their fan base... Cannot seem to understand, which is they see the world through the lens of it must be that we are being persecuted and that like, everything is against us from a footballing perspective. But the reality is that they are the establishment, right? right? And right. that's where this whole thing comes from. And Klopp um, is very clever at essentially like utilizing weaponizing the feelings and sentiment, um, which in most cases is justified, by the way of of their fan base in terms of how the city feels about the world and putting it in a football context, which is why saying stuff like, it should have been a replay, but it won't be, is actually the perfect thing for him to say. Because what he's saying there is, it should be a replay. That's what the right thing would be to do. But because it's Liverpool, they won't do it. As if, get they're, it. as if they're some non-league club. They are the establishment. So that that's like, just to be clear, that's like the that's the sort of reason why this is really interesting because you're quite right. There's been a million VAR decisions and a million incorrect offside decisions, maybe not in exactly the same way, but fundamentally there's been an error and someone has paid the price for it. Um, But, you would have thought that this was the first ever mistake the VAR has ever made, but this is because it's Liverpool and they are the establishment and they're the ones who have the, the sort of voice and the media, I guess in like an American terms, it's like some of the big dynasties, like the Lakers, right? For example, it's the same kind of principle. If they say something, it's huge. If another franchise that's not as big, has a problem. It doesn't get as much media coverage. Therefore it's just genuinely not as big a deal. So it's that. So, I'll park that now. I promise I will never mention Liverpool Football Club ever again.
0: Well, neither um, will we, so that's, that, that works again. perfectly.
1: But I thought we played really well, and I thought we were playing really well um, up until they had a player sent off, which, um, in terms of decisions, again, I cannot believe there's even a debate about whether that was a red card or not. I honestly cannot believe it. Like I, I feel like I'm quite good at not trying to um, be too like over-indexing on my own club and be like, oh, it's definitely a red. When actually, if you know, you take a few steps back, you're like, well, maybe it was yellow. That's as clear a red card as I've ever seen. Yeah. Like you, there's, I don't honestly I have no idea how this whole. There's no intent, or he's trying to go over the ball, and if you go over the ball, then that's
0: what they get taught. But also, it's a red cards in not about intent <laughs> like exactly if i put my studs into your uh shin it's uh it's reckless <laughs> is reckless
2: is reckless and he yeah, was reckless sure. it was a reckless challenge and what did what did did basuma's leg have to break for it to be considered a red card like is that what you guys wanted
0: well apparently yeah. vicario's leg also needed to break for for there to be a red card <laughs> on in Ketia. So so that, yeah, that maybe that's, that's the standard
1: well, it was weird because the Vicario one, it was like, oh, well, it wasn't a red because his the studs up leg didn't make contact. Okay, well, this one, the studs did make contact. So why is this different now? Suddenly there's another rule for this. So anyway, I thought we were doing great. Then they had a man sent off completely deservedly. That's their own fault. And look, let's, they've got form for this. I think they've had a player sent off basically in every game this season.
0: It's something they've they're got doing. Four red cards in seven matches. So. There you go. So it's yeah, the reason, reason they're way. called the Reds. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> so that's obviously something that they're that they're doing in terms of the way they're applying themselves is being overly aggressive. And it sometimes is going to cost you, and it cost them in this game. Um, after that, we were in that horrible situation where they're able to sit back. We should be pushing on because they've got 10 men, but they have an extremely good counter-attacking like skill set in terms of their players. And the Diaz goal that never was was a great goal, and that was a would have been a real problem. It was fantastic, <laughs> yeah. a fantastic, like incredible yeah. finish. Great goal, but it wasn't given. And after that, it did it did take a bit of an adjustment for us. It wasn't easy. Liverpool, really good side, and they played really well in this in this game. And they played really well when they went down to Neumann, which again was also completely their fault, um, for getting two yellows um and getting themselves sent off Jota. So overall, look, just to sum up, I think we but we basically we played really well in the context of the game. The fact that people say, Well, you should have like one by more because they were down to ten, then down to nine. They were down to nine for long periods of time. That's different from playing an open, expansive game, which actually suits us as much as it suits them. Which is why yeah. it was so end to end when it was eleven versus eleven. When it was versus nine, it was um it, in a way it was harder for us because they were just sitting in, and it was hard to break it down. Yeah, um, I wanted to. I, I thought, yeah, I thought
0: we did well. Uh, yeah, I wanted to kind of go on that a little bit because I feel like that was a common. Theme that came out of an audit the analysis of this game was like it seemed a little bit more even actually when it was eleven v eleven and then after mm-hmm. it went down to ten and then nine it did feel like now we're just playing a low block team that yeah. happens to be Liverpool and happens to be coached by Jurgen Klopp so it's like you know Kim did you get a sense that playing against ten or nine was actually more difficult and and more specifically what does this say? about our future prospects, you know, we have Luton coming up this weekend. We also had like a last minute winner against Sheffield, which is another kind of low block club. What is this something that we need to be concerned about because their majority of the teams in the league are probably going to play us this way. Most teams are not going to come out against us the way that Liverpool did in the first half.
2: Yeah, I think it, it's something that's going to be a challenge but we've shown up until now that we're up for the challenge and the two games that I feel like teams have sat in Sheffield United and Liverpool, you know, because they had to, um, we ended up winning. So I'm not going to say we're going to win all those games and it might be the thing that challenges the most. Like we might find more joy just in general playing against more expansive teams because they leave more space. That makes sense. Um, but it, until we struggle against it, I'm not going to concern myself with thinking about whether we're going to struggle too much against it, if that makes any sense. Uh, Cause I feel like that takes away from the joy of being, being a fan when you're doing well, if you sit and try to, I mean, obviously like we have injuries that's coming up. That might be a reason why form dips, but I feel like I'm not going to stress myself out about whether a low block is going to kill us until it actually does. And, and just showed that throughout a game, he's, he finds a way to change it and that the player's, they take the ownership on trying to figure out how to how to break teams down. And and honestly, what we needed to have done for most of that game is what Poro did. Get yep. to the byline, you know, throw some crosses in and try to get on the end of them, create some havoc, get those defenders moving. Um, we made it too easy for them to just stand in place for most of that um that second half. So I think like that's the kind of stuff that, you know a good manager and a good coach will coach his team to do better. And I feel like we have pretty technical players that I feel like they just need to know the instructions. And I, and, and I think they, you know, will have the ability to do what he wants. So um, it would be nice to have Parisage on games like this. Honestly, that's the, Beech. the one thing that like you, you think about from the left side, who's whipping in crosses. Um, we'll have to see who ends up playing out there, how we end up playing, but I'm like less stressed about it than I think I would have been two years ago about how do we play against those teams?
0: I'm I'm less stressed about pretty much everything <laughs> <The> more, <laughs> less than I was two years ago, less than I was, you know, six months ago. And you know, this about me, you've known me for many, many years at this point. I I'm very cynical. I'm always thinking about like how and when the other shoe is going to drop. And I think my big concern right now, and again, it's 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 only can be so big of a concern, right? We haven't lost a game yet. But I do think about what we saw in that Carabao Cup match. Obviously, he, he changed too many players, right? Everybody can agree on that. I think the thing that concerns me is how much there was a drop-off between the guys that we start every week and everybody else. And I think to our benefit, we have very few games. I think right now we're looking at a prospect of, you know, 40 something games total. And that's even if we get to the final of the FA Cup. So, from that perspective, it's not like we're going to have to manage a roster the same way that we would if we were playing twice a week. But, you know, talk about the state of the club right now. There are starting to get a little bit of niggles and knocks and guys maybe being injured. And, restriction of minutes and it's not something that I'm that's keeping me up at night but I am kind of keeping an eye on that because I feel like there are a number of players Basuma and Madison probably chief among them that like we don't really have anybody else who can do what they do and they impact the way that we play so much For me Basuma has been our most important player in the first seven matches. And he kind of makes Ange's system work. And if you take him out, I don't really know who can do that. Um, not to mention the fact that he's going to be gone for AFCON. So at some point, we are going to have to replace him, even if he doesn't get injured. Um, I think speaking specifically to like the Liverpool game, I think so much of our offense, even looking at like the ways that we scored, against Arsenal when after Madison turned Saka and then plays that ball in. And even some of the ways that um, Madison and Son have scored throughout the course of the season has been a lot of creating triangles and interplay within that final third. And so being forced to kind of stay outside of that penalty area and cross the ball in, especially without Paris to who's the best player on our team at doing that, I think that created an issue. And then Liverpool specifically has a lot of height in their back four. So then it's like when you are just like standing outside and sending in crosses and they're just heading them away and standing there and blocking shots. And it's like, Oh, uh, all right. Well now we got to figure out something else. Um, And so I say all that to say, I don't know that it's a major concern right now, but as the season progresses, it is something that I'm like, a little nervous about and I, I feel like we have to just like get to january with some relative health because that's something that i think we'll be able to address at that time and and I, and I think the other point of positivity is the fact that for everything that we're giving Ange credit for like a lot of credit has to go to our recruitment our starting 11 is half of those players weren't even on the team we didn't have van van we didn't have um, Vicario we didn't like all there's so much of our team that came in through transactions that I feel more confident going into January that we'll be able to reinforce further when that has really just not been a point of confidence previously like I was just like we're not gonna do the right thing we're gonna buy the wrong player we're gonna end up with another Ndombele we're gonna like I feel like some <laughs> of that tension has been released based on the guys that we were able to bring in
1: yeah, for sure. I, I think um, I think one of the things to consider as well when we're talking about like low block teams, I agree with everything you're saying about like getting to January for just strength and depth to give us more options because I do think that is an issue. But one of the things I would say is that when Ange was appointed, a lot of um, Celtic fans were saying it will start off and it will be a bit rough, then things will start to click and then it will really start to click and you'll start to like blow teams away. And I think that we interpreted that as we'll concede a lot of goals, because we kind of all just had this idea of, well, we'll just be really attacking and therefore not doing well means we'll concede loads of goals. But if you think about the context of Celtic in Scotland, every team plays low block against Celtic because it's Celtic. They're the best team by a million miles. Yeah. So he didn't get success by not knowing how to break down low blocks. He might mu- You know, they must have been able to work that out and find ways around it. And I wonder if actually what we're experiencing now is 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 the reality of that situation, which is you can kind of get up to speed to a certain point, but to really refine this machine to get it to a point where you can like unpick and break down these low blocks, he needs more time, which is why he talks a lot about my second season is a season when I deliver stuff. And again, I think we all thought it meant, right, we're going to take a few beatings this year. But actually maybe what he what he means is we just will sometimes be frustrated at breaking down teams. And if I'm honest, that's what I saw in the Liverpool game is I saw players going, well, we we know how to play this. We, we understand like stage one, which is 11 versus 11, inverted fullbacks. And, you know, we play in a certain way and this is what we do. But when that changed and now you've got a team playing a low block and being very narrow... Everyone and we had Gary Neville on commentary. Everyone was going to get it wide and get to the byline and cut crosses back, which is how we scored the goal. And Kimmy made a good point about Poro. It was the one time we did it in the entire twenty minutes we had when it was nine against ten and uh, nine against eleven, and that's the sort of stuff that comes with time. Is that you'll start a game and that's how they'll play, and we'll go, okay, that's how they're playing. We need to, we need to get it wide quicker. We need to move it quicker. They looked like. Well, we're doing all the things you told us to do is not working. And they looked a bit clueless. And I I saw that um, Solomon got a lot of um, slander, who's also now injured, annoyingly, got a lot of slander, um, in my opinion, wrongfully for not doing anything. He just came on and kept cutting back inside. Well, if you actually look at what Kulisevsky was doing on the other side, it was exactly the same thing. Same thing, yeah. He didn't, he was doing what he was being asked to do, which is to like get in, cut inside, and either like get a shot away, find a pass, or recycle the play. He wasn't asked to get to the byline and and cross. Otherwise, he would have done it because Kuliseski would have done it as well. And I thought Kuliseski had a great game. So it's that kind of like context I think was missing there. Um, And I think that type of play. hopefully i mean maybe it will be against nine men every time but most of the time it's going to be a low block against 11, 11 men we're going to have to get used to playing in a way that unpacks that and that will take time because that is more intricate coaching and so i think we, we we've done amazing to get to where we've got to in terms of like you know not losing a game and like doing really well but those games i think that's well, that's where we'll see developments and that that's a positive thing i think like um there's reasons to be cheerful that that is the area that we can improve on um rather than having to take you know the odd beating every so often conceding like four or five which now I hope doesn't right. happen now I've said that entire sentence
2: but I will also say um Allison just he also had a really good game <laughs> like he's a really, good keeper. His, he's really a good, good keeper there were some of the yeah. saves that he made I was like another goalkeeper would have you know that would that would have been a goal so yeah when um, Sun chested
0: it down and it reminded it reminded <laughs> me volley, of that like, yeah um, yeah it reminded me of the um Bergvine goal against City yeah great shout exactly um, it, it was very similar to that and I was like oh that's a I don't remember Sonny really scoring a lot of goals it's very Delhi-esque almost um, yeah. and that you know against 95 percent of the keepers in the league that probably is a goal yeah yeah
2: and Sonny Sonny's looking like phenomenal
0: <laughs> I gotta you know this last
2: month was just wild I
0: gotta I gotta I gotta confess man I, I I thought it was over I did. (laughs) Um, After last season, I was like, you know, we might need to move on from this brother because he just looked so out of sorts. And usually, you know, you don't get better on the other side of 30. So I had my concerns. And I also think my concerns were also multiplied by the fact that the team was not playing well. And the fact that it feels like we have had a history of holding on to players too long until they lose their value. And I'm like, if we do this again with arguably one of probably the second most valuable player we've had on this team in the past five years, then it's just going to be another just total loss where, you know, look at Eric Dyer. We could have moved him four years ago. We would have made it. I mean, anyway, i don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but um, he's definitely proven me wrong. I'm, I, I love being proven wrong when it's my, um, when it's my cynicism that's, that's being, that's being proven incorrect. So that's great to see. Um, And I feel like he's really him and Romero honestly have really seemed to have, I feel like they're more confident after being named captain. Like it's, it's added a little something to their energy of just like galvanizing the team and being a little bit more. And I I feel like that was always a, a big complaint about Spurs is like, there's no real leaders on this team and blah, blah, blah. I mean, some people blamed Harry for that. I don't know that that's the type of player he really is in the first place but there does seem to be a little bit more of that family feel that we really haven't had since uh Pochettino vibes. Yeah. Um
2: well, I mean I would say the three people that Ange named in, you know, the leadership council or whatever you want to call it, they're all very passionate players. You you they scream passion, right? So, but they're also three I mean, you might have said Romero was a little not so smart with some of the stuff he did, but you never looked at Sonny and didn't think he was like not a smart player. Madison, obviously some of the stuff he sees, he's just, they're, they're smart. Like they, they know what they should do. They might not always do it. Um, So I feel like Ange looked at who was there and said, like, I mean, I think Basuma might've been, if they're one of those guys, wasn't on the team, he was probably the fourth. And you have, what I do like about it is you have someone in each area of the pitch. So you have a forward, you have a midfielder and you have a defender Um, all who, you know, take the job really, really seriously, you can tell. Um, and then you also had, uh, I mean, Sonny seems to be friends with everybody. Um, you have um Romero, who seems to be really, really close with all the South Americans. So I feel like he he looked at it, Ange looked at it in a way that was very holistic and tried to figure out how to, like he said, he seems to want to build a family atmosphere. And he chose three guys who reach out and try to build a family atmosphere, but also can can be leaders, and so I I think it it speaks to Ange's to the people he then chose to you know be his voice to the players.
0: Well, last note on the Liverpool game. Obviously, I'm usually watching matches with DC Spurs. I'm on the board, um, but I've been trying to visit a few more OSCs this year. There's so many just in this area alone. Uh, we were talking about OSCs, um, of, of supporters clubs earlier in the episode, and. I decided to go up to the Baltimore Spurs club, which is like an hour away and shout out to Baltimore Spurs. I I, I definitely met a bunch of great people there. And I, I sat down at the bar. I was, I was next to uh, one of their members, Dana, and we were just like talking the whole game. And that last 20 minutes was just so nervy. Cause again, you, you you're in your head, you're thinking, all right, well they're, they're playing nine V 11. Like we should be able to win this game. And especially yeah. with, it being tied for 35, 40 minutes. By the time we get to 90 minutes and then you're in stoppage time, it's like, we've just been trying to do the same thing for this long and it's just not coming. And I will have to say, (laughs) I mentioned this to my DC Spurs friends because this has been a bit of a tradition that started in the Conte era where whenever we were struggling for a goal, I'd order tequila on rocks. And that was, <laughs> that was our, our good, like a good luck charm. You know, that, that tequila always just gave us a little energy that I don't know why it, it used to work. It, it ran out of luck last year. <laughs> it stopped working completely, but I think it's back because I got the tequila on the rocks for the Sheffield match and I did it again in Baltimore. And I'll tell you what, both those games, we scored right at the end. I think, I think the charm is back. Now that we've got contact at the club, I think the The tequila luck is back for us. Um, So, yeah, shout out to Baltimore Spurs. It was a great atmosphere. Uh, Great folks that I met out there between, you know, Dana and Danny and Matt and Megan and a bunch of people on their board. Um, And they were like super gracious. And hopefully D.C. Spurs and and Baltimore Spurs can connect for um, some events this year. But I definitely wanted to shout them out. Um, We are the Koisaris podcast. We can be followed on Twitter. We could be followed on Instagram at Coy's R Us Podcast. We've got John Bass here from uh Fighting Cock. I didn't ask you this. I'd had T on an earlier episode last year, and I was just talking to him about like how he got into Spurs and how he started podcasting with these guys. You guys seem to like have a friend group that kind of all connected in different ways. How did you get connected with the Fighting Cock podcast specifically?
1: Okay, so my my story is. It's just coincidences, like really weird set of coincidences. So I started um doing uh, Notorious Pod with my hip hop podcast, and when I first started doing it, obviously it was just like, well, who can you rope in? So I roped in my my brother in law Corey, and um so we just did the the first pod and we were talking about Wu Tang, Thirty Six Chambers, and so I knew T was on the fighting cock, loved hip hop. So I thought, well, you know, I'll send him this episode to see if, you know, I can get some feedback from him. So I forwarded him this episode and he he replied back to me on Twitter going, yeah, I really like this episode. Um, plus, I know Corey. And I was like, so what, <laughs> wow. The ch- what, wow. It turns out that basically they have a mutual friend in common that, um, that they've been on like a stag do or like a birthday party together and they remembered each other. And so when... Um, after a kind of a few more episodes of Notorious Pod came out, T was obviously listening to them. There was like a gap where someone had dropped out on a fighting cock episode, and he just suggested to Flav, "Hey, if you need this guy, like he's a Spurs fan and he does a pod, so at least we know he can like uh, form a sentence. If you're looking for someone, like maybe he could fill in the gap. I'll ask him." And that was it. He asked me if I could uh, if I was available, and I said yeah. And that was it. And then I went to went to where Flav used to work at Ball Street. Um, Flav who runs the Fighting Cock, and then yeah, the rest is history. And I think I I started doing pods. Then this was like, I don't know. I want to say like that Liverpool game that you mentioned was that the one we smashed them at Wembley. I think it was the season was after 4-1. that. So it was the yeah, it was the last season yeah. at Wembley. Was my first season on the Fighting Cock, which was whatever that is five five and a bit years ago. Um, and yeah, and that so everyone on there is kind of <laughs> met through. Friends of friends, or like weird coincidences, um, except for like Flav and Ricky, who I think lived together and were friends, but they also met on like a Spurs blog, I think, or like a forum back in the day. So it's a really kind of like nice set of friends. But now it's like we go to each other's weddings and like you know people um, go on holiday with each other, and we you know we're like a pretty. Cl- I speak to those guys more than I speak to my my whole family. So um, right, pretty tight knit <laughs> bunch, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned, um, because I feel like we met in a similar way through mm-hmm. the Notorious P.O.D. podcast. I had put out an album a couple years ago, and T and I had been corresponding on and off about hip hop, different rap stuff. And we would just like DM on Instagram. And when I put out the last album, um, I sent it to T just kind of on a whim, like, hey, check this out. Let me see. Let me know what you think about it. And then I think he shared it with you because he knew that you had the podcast. I don't think you and I had actually corresponded prior to that. Um, And then you heard the album and then you liked it. And then you had me come on the Notorious P.O.D. podcast. And here we are now. So what's crazy
1: about that is like um, on my so I got married last year on my stag during the summer. We basically, me and my friends, we rented like a a big villa in Ibiza and I put together, I'm obsessed with controlling the music wherever we go, right? If I'm in the car, I have to have the orcs. If I'm around the pool on a holiday, I have to like have the playlist. And I had like a couple of your songs from that album on my playlist on my stag do. Like what, like it's that kind of stuff there's like, (laughs) it's like a, is a nice connection, right? Like you meet someone from like a shared interest and then, you know, you keep in contact and Yeah, and then it's like stuff like that, and people were like, "Oh, who's this?" I was like, "Oh, just my friend. Don't worry about it. Let me. I'll show. I'll show you the album. Don't worry. Don't worry. You you get get to (laughs) know."
0: That is that is so cool. I mean, no, yeah, it's it's always amazing when I hear about like somebody hearing the album from another country, or some I hear somebody reaches out from Ireland and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I like like this is amazing." It's not what I had in mind when I was making it, but it uh, that's the power of the internet. Absolutely. Um, So. Like I said, Luton on Saturday, which is going to be, I think, twelve thirty local time for us. That's seven thirty in the morning. Um, so that's the other good thing about watching British football is it gives you an excuse to start drinking. Um, I was going <laughs> to say that that, the that crack tequila is going to be very very early this week, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. luckily we've got a we got a holiday this weekend, so um, nice. I've I've got no work on Monday, and I can I can spend a couple of days getting. Hopefully we won't need the tequila. The tequila is only—it's—it's it's break in case of emergency. So, okay. we're looking ahead to Luton. This is a team that you know we—we we assume is probably going to be playing some of that low block that we've had some issues tackling. And I think one of the big concerns going into this game, which is our final match before the second international break, already it's October. Yeah. Very, it's ridiculous. But I think the big concern right now is—is is that left wing. Um, Brennan's already hurt. Now we're getting news that Manor Solomon's going to be out for two to three months. Parasich is out for the season, who also plays on that left side. Richie's looked okay, um, but I don't think that that's something that we want as a long-term option. Sonny and Matters have both been pulled from the last couple games because it seems like Ange has been monitoring their minutes. Madison also just got called up to the English team. So it doesn't look like he's going to be getting much of a rest with all of that in mind and thinking about looting away, which seems might like it actually might be a little bit of a trap game. What is, I guess the lineup that we should be running out there and, and, and thinking about some of the injury concerns, like, is this a time for us to maybe do some rotations to the lineup? Kim, what are you, what are your thoughts on, on who we run out there?
2: I still feel like Madison and Sonny play for 60 or 70 minutes. Um, I don't. It seems to I be mean, kind you know, of the
0: norm that's been set now. Yeah, right?
2: I feel like that's just what we're going to see until they're fully healthy. Um, but like you said, they're both on England duty. So I I don't know, maybe this week they got over it. But from what I heard, they've been not training here and there, but playing games. So not really sure about that. But um, I guess you start with Charleston um
0: i don't know what the option we have on that left side
2: yeah you start with charleston on the left sunny through the middle Kulusevski. um midfield stays the same i feel like we start the same team that we did against um liverpool I don't, I don't i don't unless something really really changes in the next few days i feel like he trots that same team out and you know if we're up then yeah maybe we see some subs early like for yeah 3-0 up in 45 minutes or something like that. Yeah, maybe you see some younger attackers come on. Um, but I feel like you start your strongest team.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think like there's been some talk about maybe Valise starting just because he's one, because of Sonny needing a bit of a rest and potentially carrying an injury, and two, because if they are playing a low block and we're going to put balls in the box, that that is apparently his best skill set. Um Valiz is very good in the air and is sort of good in the box. So I can see some merit in that, but like, I personally, I, there was a long time basically in football where you just play your best team every week. It doesn't matter about the opposition. You just played your best team and no one batted an eyelid. Now suddenly it's like, no, this player can't play when that team has this type of formation and he doesn't suit this. So you got to play this person. Like,
0: I, well, That's I, because clubs like, are being asked to play 80 games a season. That's why. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. But,
1: yeah, and also like, there's a you know a lot a lot's changed in football like for the better in terms of like improvements in like data and science and all this other stuff. But I do think there is um, a slight over-indexing on overthinking about things, and sometimes like football is a pretty simplistic game, and like sometimes it is just a case of um, you know looking for the the most simple solution. Sometimes is the best answer to it, to the question. And for me, it's like if you have if you have quality players, they will find a way um, to score goals. As we saw, if you play against a low block and Luton have some like pretty big, robust defenders who are used to heading things away, if you keep putting balls in the box, what you're basically saying is, I think our two attackers are more likely to score over the 90 minutes than your four defenders are at heading it away. And statistically, that is just really not the case. Whereas sort of cutting the ball back or finding low angles which essentially are still like crosses right from wide or passes from wide areas you need players who have good movement that's quite a different thing to just finding good players in the box who are good in the air so I think that they, I can understand the argument of like you know let's play Valise and like rest some players and then they're going to play a low block so we should just get loads of crosses I'm not not sure that's actually the best tactic and maybe they will have not played against a player as good as Hyung min Son They they won't have so they won't really know what to do with him and they won't have experienced that level of movement and that that like high level of quality. So I think we should like try and stamp our game onto them. And I totally agree with Kimmy. If it's not working, that's always an option, right? You've always got twenty minutes, like we saw against Evil, twenty minutes, put put Richie and Valise as a front two and just get balls in the box and see what see if we can break them down that way. But we should try to impose our game on them first before we completely abandon like what's got us to this point, in my opinion.
2: And I think, I think that's the kind of manager Anges,
1: though. Exactly. He
2: exactly. wants to play his way, and then if he needs to deal, he'll make changes. So, I, like I said, I expect to see as strong of a team as he can field.
0: Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think what's interesting is going into the Arsenal match and then Liverpool after them, one of the talking points that we discussed was... You know we've basically been dominating possession on every team. Now we're starting to play some of the big boys, and what is this team going to look like if we don't keep main, uh, maintain the majority of possession? And actually, we ended up still having majority of possession. Obviously, the Liverpool game had some extenuating circumstances for that, but even against Arsenal, I think we had fifty four percent. So it does feel like. I don't know outside of Man City if there's really any other teams out there that would be able to maintain more possession than us. So I think from that perspective, we pretty much know what we're going to get. I And I expect against a team like Luton, that number to be upwards of 65 to 70. Yeah. What I think the question then becomes is if they know that and we know that, they're probably going to be comfortable playing for a draw. It's this at this point, they're just trying to get points. This is a team that has only won one game. It was against Everton. (laughs) Um, And they are not doing so well on the table. So for them to just stay in the premier league is really their only goal. Um, They've played seven games. They've won one. They have four points um, and they're in 17th right now, just tied on points with Everton and Burnley. So this is not a, a club that's going to be gung ho. And actually, the way that Burnley played us was was a bit surprising, I I guess, um, for what we typically have seen from Burnley, but maybe not as surprising for what from what company's been doing with them. I, I don't think Luton Town is gonna be a five-two type of game. Um, but I am also not concerned, I would say curious, just to see like what that first forty-five minutes really looks like if they revert to that low block out the gate if they try to play a little bit um, and like just to see what options we utilize in order to open them up because Spurs right now have a team that if we open anybody up, we're probably going to win. And I think Luton is going to be conservative in that regard, especially in front of their home fans. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how we open them up and um, if we have any trouble doing that and, and if it, Hopefully it doesn't it doesn't have to be a tequila game. I, I I love the Sheffield and the Liverpool and the crazy last minute limbs in the air. But I also, you know, I could use a comfortable win <laughs> on Saturday, yeah, well, you know?
1: The, I don't need thing, that every week. Exactly. Like we, we could just do with a nice like four-nil smashing, a score in the first minute and then the floodgates open. The the thing about um the thing about Luton though, to bear in mind, because I actually was born in Luton, I was born in the L and D Luton Dunsport now Hospital. Look at that so i grew up um i didn't grow up in luton i grew up in sort of like the area so a lot of my friends are luton town you're basically either luton tottenham or arsenal from where i'm from and so i know the club fairly well and you have to remember this club in the pyramid system in like british football you can um you obviously have the premier league the championship league one league two when you get relegated from league two you're in non-league right which some of my friends have played at that level right it's like it's good it's still a decent level but um, it's a huge difference. And Luton... Through it's no like fault semi-professional. Of their own, semi-professional, exactly. Through no fault of their own, like they had an owner that basically screwed them over and they were deducted like a load of points, which basically meant they would have to win every game 10 nil to stay up, which they didn't. They got relegated and they went non-league. And now they were selling out when they were non-league. So wow. now they're back in... Uh, they, they went all the way back through the leagues, which is unprecedented. I think they're one of the only clubs that's actually ever done that um so this season they haven't gone out and spent a million pounds uh like billions of pounds sorry on loads of players they've been very like fiscally um conservative in terms of like managing their club because there is an expectation that they might go back down so they will have a go i i think that people are thinking that they'll be um completely low block old school burnley they will at the right time but their fans want to have some fun and I think that the club also understand that it's like yeah you can try and play a nicker like a nil-nil but you'll probably end up losing anyway so I think they will be conservative but I don't think it will be as backs to the wall as people are expecting I think that they will give it a go when they get the chance and their fans will want to see them come out and play a little bit and at least try to attack which I think will help us ultimately and in play into our hands um, so that's why I said earlier we recorded the fighting cock earlier, and I did say we we might smash them up four 0 because I think they might get a bit carried away now that they've won a game, thinking, oh yeah, we could we should play a little bit. So um, it's going to be an interesting game, and um, I have a soft spot for Luton. I would say I don't have a second team, but if I had one, it would probably be Luton. So I hope it's only four and not five, but I hope we smash them to <laughs> bits.
0: I'm actually glad you gave that additional context because I, I feel like that's actually going to play into our favor a little bit more like you said. Mm. I've seen them play a few I mean I haven't watched a ton of Luton Town this year but um in the games that I have seen it, it does look like they are trying a few different things. Yeah. Their their players are not crazily clinical. Um but they've got a forward Carlton Morris that has like 3 goals already this season so yeah, he's decent. um yeah, they're he's decent. they're trying to do bits but I think it's just difficult for them because the level is just so much higher. But I think that's a good shout. And and, and if they are going to try to play with us, then that's actually going to affect um, my prediction, <laughs> actually. I'm a little bit more confident than I was otherwise um, if we were going to be playing a low block football for 80 minutes. But I think I'll go – I think I'll go three one. I'm still not ready for uh, to predict us having too many clean sheets because I think uh, we we're we're open up. We open up a little bit. But um, I think if if we score three, that's going to be way more than they'll be able to contend with. And that'll give us a nice three points to go into the break. Kimmy, what you got?
2: I said, since you don't want to go for the clean sheet, I will take that bet. And so I will oh, go. Oh wow! Now.
0: Okay, you know okay. I'm going for right.
2: I'm going for three wins in a row. This could be that these this could be nine points on the table.
0: Well, yeah. Well, it would be two wins in a row, right? Because we drew with this, Arsenal. Yeah, but I. Oh, your oh, three predictions in a row. Got it. Yes, right. I'm
2: talking about our Coys R Us table, <laughs> not yes, not yes, the first yes, 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 yes. not, okay. not the Premier yeah. League table. I mean the table. important our one. <laughs> table.
0: <Yeah. laughs> the one that matters.
2: <laughs> yes yeah, so i'll go three now then
0: all right Luton town on saturday any uh last notes or thoughts before we wrap
1: don't get any more injuries please as well that would be great just get through yeah. it unscathed. would be great yeah, that's and, uh, that's really uh, yeah.
0: the biggest thing well john bass or is it is it john bass or is it big john bass because i'm not i'm not sure which one is is the official <laughs> well, these market days-
1: well, these days now people are saying that i'm not that big i mean we had the fighting cock social and people were, oh you're not that big i was like i'm six <laughs> foot three is generally considered quite big but this guy was about eight foot tall so i was like we're well, not compared to you so uh maybe just john bass is probably the safest oh
0: man yeah. oh man this the social just just ruined the the whole now I, I thought that was gonna be like your rap name you could have had merch you could have had bjb you could have done a whole thing but you know i know just, just regular John Bass now, I guess.
1: Never meet, never
0: meet your heroes. That's what they say.
1: <laughs> they call themselves Big John Bass, and in reality, they're just you know not that big.
0: There it is. Toys R <laughs> us. Right. John, thanks for joining. Come on, you Spurs. I yeah, Appreciate it. Come, Come on, on, you Spurs. Spurs.